North Carolina. I moved there four years ago. Oh, it's been a it's been a little while. Yeah, yeah. And people still, some people still think I live in San Francisco, but I, I, that's two cities ago. I lived, I left San Francisco in two thousand seven. I do associate you with San Francisco because I'm from there originally, and I remember seeing you at Ape every year. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's just the writing was on the wall, like in in two thousand six and seven. I was like, you know, I don't want to be the San Francisco guy who was like, oh, it was so much better back in the day. Yeah. But San Francisco is such a bummer. You walk down the street, you got Twitter, and then you have just people like defecating in the streets. That's true. It, 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 the whole middle class has been wiped out. So it is, it's just rich and homeless. And I, I think the place needs a big earthquake to shake things up. An act of God. It Totally, totally. I think so. So you moved, you moved to LA for professional reasons. Yeah, I, I was like, this is my in- industry is imploding. Alternative weeklies are going out of business. They can't afford to pay cartoonists, so they cut they cut the cartoons first. And uh, I was like, well, I originally came out to be in San Francisco for five years, mm-hmm. and then moved to LA. I was there for sixteen, so I was like, okay, now's the time to move that, to LA. That's interesting. So, so you saw San Francisco as almost a stepping stone to Los Angeles. I, I saw it as graduate school. I. I totally treated it as graduate school but it was such a great time and wonderful experience that I was like I'm here you know but I was so psyched when I moved to LA LA got was attractive to me because San Franciscans hated LA (laughs) that's what fascinated and every time we went down there with the Marshall Prophets I was just like this is great yeah (laughs) have a great time why did that attract you though that people hate that place so much I'm just when when so many people just blanketly do that sure it just was like, what yeah. is this about? That it's evoking such strong passion on either side of the spectrum. Well, here's the funny thing is most L.A. people don't even – it's like a one-sided thing. Yeah, it's sure. like everyone I meet down there is like, oh, yeah, I love going up to San Francisco. It's just like, oh, you know. But now everybody's turned on San Francisco. I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I was in a, um, an elevator, and this guy said he was from San, lived in San Francisco. I said, oh, wow, I, I live there. He's like, oh, I hate it. It's like, you hate it. And he goes, yeah, I work for a tech company. You know, it's just like, I'm just there for the money. And it's yeah. terrible. People pooping in the street, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's just it's just a shame that anybody would say. Here's the thing. People have always pooped in the street in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I, I One of my first comics was about me pooping in the park. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> a little different than on, uh, on Fifth Street. I just want to say this. I ate in the wrong place in the mission mexican and, place no oh okay an asian place and then i was on the bus on the mm-hmm. 14 and trying to find a place where i could go to the bathroom and i was in that no man land between like 10th and like 9th and or i mean 8th or 7th and this was like really early on and i just i saw this one restaurant and i got off i was like and once i got off i saw the sign that said no public bathrooms and I was like, oh my god, I'm, I have to, I have to poop in this park. What does that do to your psyche, right, right after you, right after you're, so you're like in the process of doing it, you're probably a little stressed out, you're looking around, but then you finish, and how do you feel about yourself? Oh, I wipe my ass with my zines, my comics. <laughs> this is like, if you were telling somebody your rock bottom story, it might be the moment where you're shitting in the park and wiping your ass with your own uh, like, like, right? This is the only, yeah. only, only place to go is up after. I'm sure someone looked out the window and was like, God, like 1992, 93, yeah. people shitting in the street. And it was me. It was Keith Knight. And now look at me. <laughs> Eating a $25 hamburger. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
<laughs> so you moved to L.A. to be in the entertainment business. I moved to L.A. to develop stuff for yeah. television. Yeah, I was like, I'm running out of opportunities here as a cartoonist. Like, I need to do, I need to make a big move. And so we went down there and... I lived the first three years down there. I lived there without a car, being all San Francisco. Because mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a car for 16 years before that. So San Francisco like, is a small city, though. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, I'm going to do it without a car. And then realized I inherited a car. My mm-hmm. great uncle died, so I drove his car across country. And that's when I started meeting people. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I really did need this car. But that's where I met my first producer. And, and really, like, and then at some point, you know, we had kids, and we were in our little apartment. And in order for us to move to a bigger apartment, it, it by then it would have been triple the money. And I was like, I was like, you know what? I met everybody I needed to meet here. I can do my job anywhere. I got this advance for a book deal, and I said, let's go before I waste this money in L.A. The main appeal of moving to a place like L.A. for a business like that is the initial networking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like L.A. is a, a schmoozy town. Obviously, your stuff is out there and online and in print, but how do you get your stuff in front of the right people? I think it was just meeting people, and then someone said, oh, yeah. hey, you got to check out this stuff, this guy's stuff. It finally got to a producer that was like, oh, wow, okay, like, let me bring this to another guy that I've worked with. And that guy was Eric Christian Olsen from NCIS LA, who was just starting up. I think he was just starting up his production company, but he was just like, man, I love this. You know, his dad was a, a, a African-American history professor. I think his dad basically said, this will be the most important project you ever do in your life. <laughs> your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you make a show out of this. What was the pitch for the show? African American Splendor. That's it. Um, I don't know how much Black Harvey Picar? Well, I mean, <laughs> that that's, for me, it's the elevator pitch. Yeah. You, you want to be yeah. able to say something really fast. Yeah. And I, I think that was it. Like, Autobiographical comics, but from an African American perspective. Yeah. Live yeah. action. Yeah. With animation. American Splendor from a standpoint of, like, live action, but then inserting some cartoons in in the middle yeah it's a okay. just a mix of it and just you know and in for from a, like a really indie perspective you know just yeah. like a i'm not going to tell you much more <laughs> this is the one that that you're working on for yeah. Hulu right now okay yeah and i didn't get the deal until i left los angeles so people say oh don't go you don't know what's going to happen right around the corner blah 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 but you know, knock on wood. All we did was make a pilot. I'm, I'm not sure if we have a series. I'm not sure, you know. By the time this airs, yeah. I could be, it, it, it could be you like, could be nah. pooping in a park somewhere. There you go. <laughs> it's tough, right? Because you want to be excited about the fact that you have it, but you don't want to get too excited. You never know where it's going to land. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, because I don't have it. But actually, what I did do have is I produced... I had a great experience making a pilot, and it was just an amazing experience, especially because as a cartoonist, you know, you sit there by yourself all the time. I'm a people person, and I like working with people, so it's really hard for me to sit by myself and just draw comics, so that's why I draw my comics at cafes. I do them all. I draw them in cafes and bars and all this stuff, because a lot of my ideas I get from talking to people and, like, talking these through and just going, oh, yeah, blah, 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 so that's, that's the way I do it, but... It's so nice to to go from working alone to working with all these different people and just they're all super talented and smart and amazing. And, you know, there's a few morons. Sure, that's life. (laughs) I assume entertainment, there's always a little bit of nepotism or something. Some people just sort of slip through the cracks there and maybe get promoted where they shouldn't necessarily. I'm just I'm shocked just having this experience, like amazing 
how many planets have to align for oh, yeah. just to even get a pilot made, you know? There's the downside of the, the solitary aspect of it, but the upside is that it's just, it's your brain to the paper. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'll just tell you this, as hard as it's been to sit and write and draw a daily strip for 10 years, yeah. which this is my 10th year, you are creating, you are creating intellectual property which is valued in Hollywood. It's totally valued in Hollywood. So, frankly, the thing that sold the show, or just the, the idea of, like, oh, let's work, let's see what, you know, let's develop this beyond just the meeting, was I ended the meeting with my 500-page Dark Horse collection, which is like a phone book. I stood up and chucked the book onto the table. Boom. And I said, there's your first 10 seasons. This must have been something you were like going through in your mind a little bit. Like you wanted a kind of a dramatic moment. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it, literally, that's that's exactly what I wanted to do. And, and, and it works. It's funny because like these are the sorts of ideas I get in my head all the time. Like I'm going to do that and like never. See, that's the thing. Yeah. The difference between those who make it. Yeah. And I'm not saying you're not making it. But I'm just saying like yeah. what, what, this happens all the time sure. in our heads. We have these ideas that we don't follow up on yeah. and it's talking about Adam Mansback the guy who worked with me on Jake the Fake the Jake the Fake series his book Go to F to Sleep which was a you know huge yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a Facebook post that he because he was yeah. having trouble putting his kid to sleep and he's like my next book's going to be called Go to F to Sleep and people are like oh man that's funny you know is that a real book you know and he it could have ended right there sure. uh, no no I just made that up and it could end it right there. Instead, he went ahead, he put that together, and like literally, it's, I don't know how many books it sold, but once the Samuel L. Jackson read read the, did the I mean, it just totally sure. blew up. So like, I would just say to people, just it, when you have those little weird, simple, simple, funny ideas, see them through. It's easier earlier when you're younger, when you have the energy, when you don't have like people depending on you to that go is, with those whims. Yeah, that is true. But I don't think, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think with the wisdom of old age, like myself, <laughs> like you just like, you yeah. just gotta, you gotta do it. Just follow through, go yeah. for it, you know? And I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of the old traditional things have fallen apart. I don't think that college is the necessary thing anymore. Like there's all these weird, you know, norms that have fallen away. Doing what you do, both in terms of music and art, granted this could change if you know the TV show comes through, but I'm sure you realized years ago that you're just gonna have to cobble stuff together to keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, I don't think there's two cartoonists in Mocha right now that will tell you, I made it the same exact way. Like, yeah. everybody, the way you make it is, is by diversifying your income streams and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Do you think it was useful to focus on two things as different as comics and music? No, I mean, here, <laughs> music has always been a hobby. Yeah. And like, like I, I don't really do music anymore. But it was always that great alternative to working by myself because I love working with a band and throwing out an idea and it becomes... So this TV thing is all, was almost like working with a band, you know? And I kept on saying that, actually, on set. Like, it's like working in the band. But um, I would love to do more music again, but, but that is one where it's just like, oh, okay, I do have two kids. They could go on tour with me because... <laughs> We homeschool them. I don't know if you want to do that to a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think, uh, I, I think the the 
the experience of them. Yeah. Like the fact that they were able to go to Germany. You know, they didn't have to worry about like dealing with a school. They they went to Germany while I shot the show. You can't have them on tour all the time. Oh yeah, which no, which is no, not no. a healthy way to no. grow up. But it's you know it's interesting. I, we met this family before we ever homeschooled or anything. We met this family who came to Color City, where right where we lived. There was an art show there, and it was an artist that sells his work there. I think it was a photographer or a painter, and his family travels with him to art shows across the country, and they homeschool him. And it was like really kind of cool. Yeah. Who knows? I only met them for a day, but <laughs> but they seemed like you know a decent decent family and I don't know I don't know like the time you only get so much I think about sort of you know as a dad you work nine to five and you see you know when you get home you see your kids for a couple of hours before they go to bed but the time I've had with my kids as crazy as they drive me I love going to the park with them in the and like at 10 30 in the morning and just like doing stuff you know and and then playing with them, playing hockey with them, like when, when other kids are at school, and going to the zoo when it's completely empty. <laughs> you know, summer is like the worst time because everyone's yeah. out of school. But summer also sucks in, in North Carolina because it's the brutal. heat. Yeah, especially having come from California. The creatures. Yeah. Like seriously, the giant bugs. The giant bugs. Like North Carolina in the summer looks like all those books, all those dinosaur books you grew up. The only yeah. thing that we're missing are the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But everything it's else, like an alien. The bugs are the same size. And when I first moved to North Carolina, I got bit by something where my it was like right here, my eyelid, yeah. and it it looked like I went like twelve rounds with a heavyweight fighter. It was so funny. When that happens, when you like when you move to a new place and you have this giant welt on your face, are you rethinking your decisions in life? Uh, you know what the funny thing was is we showed up to our rental place and it was empty for ten days. So no one was in there, and we showed up at 10 o'clock at night, and we flicked, We went in the back door and flicked on the light in the laundry room, and cockroaches scattered And my wife was like, all right, get in the car. We're going back, <laughs> We're going back to California. It was hilarious. It was so funny. But um, but what, you soon learn that like it doesn't matter how clean your house is. Like We are just... It's the bugs world, and we're just living it. Do you think that doing a show like that, you know, especially when you're first doing the pilot, trying to get it off the ground, is it inherently less political than the comics? Oh, not at all. <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. feel like you. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that like working for like Hulu or Netflix changes the math on that a bit versus working it, with it's, the network. It's it's a whole different animal. It's yeah. a whole different animal, and I can't give away too sure. much but your stuff has obviously become like over the years more and more the one thing that i will say is we're not trying to couch it in this current moment like we're not okay. mentioning names yep. that just you know hopefully will be gone soon yeah. <laughs> but um any show about racism racism isn't going anywhere let's just say that so that, that's, about an, that. that's a key that's, undercurrent for that's the show. part of it yeah yeah, yeah. You can't do a, a, a series just based on that. It's it's much more than that. Why kind of stay away from the current moment just to kind of keep it more timeless? Because, yeah, it dates it. Yeah, yeah. it dates it right away. As much as I love Bloom County, when I look at a lot of the Bloom Counties, they're completely dated because they mention, oh, 
this thing that happened, you know, and then you have to look it up and everything. That's it's same, the same with Doonesbury. Do you feel like that it's come even more top of mind? I mean, obviously, like all these conversations about racism have, I mean, it's never stopped being a part of our culture, but certainly the last two and a half years, it's come to front of mind for people who otherwise wouldn't consider it. Yeah, which is actually a really good thing. I yeah. mean, it's not, I no longer, I was just, I did my sli- slideshow today and like, you know, when I first started doing my slideshow on police brutality and racism and everything, there were people that would be like, what's white privilege or white supremacy? What are you talking the about? Was Obama era? Yeah, yeah. yeah. White supremacy, <laughs> what are you talking about? That was when about? we fixed racism though, Keith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really have to convince anybody yeah. <laughs> about it anymore, you know, and it's people who consider themselves, you know, liberal who are the ones who are like, no, it's not, no, it's this. Yeah. You know, I think those are the people who are way more surprised at this last election, that the last presidential election than, than black people. It's, it was like that SNL thing, like, where Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are just like, yeah, well, <laughs> welcome, welcome to our world, yeah. you know, so. Do you think, though, that having Trump in office and, like, all of the shit that has been going on in the past couple of years, I mean, has that made you more political? I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's... I think there's a more more of an urgency to sort of inform. It, it, it's weird, but I, I think I think you know he's he's just a symptom. He's oh yeah, a yeah, symptom. absolutely. And since so many people have been doing stuff about him, and there are a lot of you know a lot of people jumping into the game who are doing political stuff that that ne- that never did it before. For me, it was it's important to focus on some of the issues that get lost in the mix. Police brutality is still happening. There's still a lot of different other stuff that's going on. So I'm glad that other people are writing about this stuff. And then I can I can do it, do the stuff that is going to be here before, that was here before him and will be here after him. Do you feel, though, that for your own peace of mind that you have to back away from that every so often? For me, watching the news, reading blogs all day, sometimes I just, I do have to tune it out because it, it's it's crazy making one of the good things with having kids is like the kids i love going to baseball practice with my 10 year old and you know and just throwing a baseball with them i love kicking soccer balls and do that type of thing you know it's one of the reasons why i'm a sports fan is because in some ways you can just like you have this sort of concern for this very <laughs> thing that like doesn't really mean anything oh man my team oh. so I'm from the Bear I'm a big Ace fan and they'll lose and that'll ruin the, I'll, I'll be in a bad mood for a little while but then you can wake up the next morning and go on with your life yeah yeah exactly what does infuriate me is and I've never lived this close to a culture like this is college sports yeah and Duke you, UNC and, yeah. and Duke yeah and just, you know, watching Zion Williamson go down during the UNC Duke game, 30 seconds in, where people are paying $3,000 to go there to see him. He's not getting paid anything. Yeah, he's not getting a thing. You know, he's wearing a shoe he's forced to wear because the, the company made a, gave money to the school where they're paying yeah. his coach $9 million and he gets nothing. I looked online, Zion Williamson youth a uh, youth jersey with his name on it and Duke is ninety one dollars. And he gets none of it. And he's forced to go to school for one year, this one and done thing, 
you know, there's no other rule like that in in any other sport. They're doing it because they it's just exploitation of yeah. free labor, and it's a majority black thing, and it's just like, you know, I touch on it in my I didn't do it in this one. White owners, black players. Yeah, white owners, black players. Black How players can not getting paid money. They're, I'm, I'm starting to. This is sounding like something else. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the, there's a reason why. You know, the South was so doubled down on slavery that they didn't they didn't have anything when it ended. That's why, like, it's just prisons. Like, the poorest parts of the, the country are in the South, and it's just prisons. Because how, okay, what can we do where we have massive amounts of black people working for barely anything? Prison, you know, prison population. And <laughs> prison population and football and basketball. That's, it's... It's there. It's there. And people always say, oh, well, uh, they get a free education. Like, please. I, I, you know, anybody, anybody who's gone to school knows what it's like to carry a full load of classes yeah. and work and, you know, do all that stuff. These guys have to be in the gym. They have to study plays. They have to travel all the time. The biggest ones have to do, you know, mm-hmm. all these uh, press conferences and all this different stuff. And they have to carry the full load. And if they want to make money, they have yeah. to get a job outside of that. That's crazy impossible. If I buy that guy a sandwich, if I buy Zion Williamson a sandwich, he can lose it all. And he and he almost destroys his career, yeah. you know, doing that for free. F that. Pay the players. And the funny thing is is, you know, Republicans always talk about, eh, too much regulation. You don't see them saying, you know, let the free market, blah, blah, blah. The Republicans should be the ones saying, get rid of this and pay the players. But of course, they, they don't. It's like, yeah, well, what, black people work for free? Sure. Kiss my ass. It's like Kaepernick. People watch sports specifically as a form of escapism, but then you have to realize, like, these, these are people in the world. I, like, I, I understand the impulse to want to, you know, watch a TV show or go see a concert or go to a sports game and just get outside of my head for a while. But yeah. you can't divorce that from the fact that these are human beings operating in the world. This is I, I, this is the longest ham- wait for a hamburger that I like. Yeah. We, do you want it? You should probably ask it. Like a poor girl is waiting. Yeah, I know, I know. She's sitting there. We, yeah. well, there's a girl watching my table right now who hates let, me. Let me check in because I got to be back at five anyway. Let me go see what's going on with the food. Oh yeah, and just tell him, tell him, yeah, like we, I'll take it to go. Oh, should I keep on talking? Is yeah, it yeah, still keep, going? Just keep, yeah, just bam. so I've just taken over this podcast. This is Keith Knight uh, broadcasting live from uh, Inc. the Inc. Forty Eight Hotel. And the lounge, uh, I'm waiting for a $25 hamburger because this is the only place we found that was mellow enough for this interview. Uh, Yet, um, I don't know, uh, that had food. But this food has taken way too long and it's way too expensive. But uh, apparently, oh, here comes Brian. He's coming back, back to the podcast. Is it tough, though, to have all these other things on the side when you're still doing a daily strip? Oh, it's it's totally tough. It's yeah. horrible. And a family it's, and trying to live your life. Yeah, like homeschooling. I got a graphic novel that people have been waiting on forever mm-hmm. to get done. And I, I am thankful to them for being super cool about it. And just, yeah, just everything. I mean, a lot of people, Jake the Fake 3, I'm yeah. working on right now. They're waiting for that. Because you just got in the city yesterday. I asked you what you did last night. And you're like, yeah, I saw some people, but also I worked. Yeah, yeah. 
I think it's just like I don't think I'll ever st- stop that grind because it's you just don't know when you know you don't know if if things are just going to completely fall apart yeah. and I think what happened I, I think I was perfectly <laughs> trained for what society is coming to which is I've always grinded and hustled and so when <laughs> the industry started to fall apart you know I had always been freelancing so you know it, it's not that big of a change for me but I had all these old school cartoonists coming to me going okay I've always been on a staff of a newspaper I always just handed something off yeah. to somebody who knew I don't even know if they, they would say I don't even know Photoshop I don't even know what there is something really nice in having a weekly or bi-weekly paycheck yeah. Just delivered to you. Oh my god, I still love when a check comes in. Yeah. Like it, it's rare and rare, but when like more than one check shows up into your mailbox, yeah. it's like two checks. I think last month I had there were three checks in there, and I was like, oh my god, it's real. It doesn't matter if it's like a twenty five dollar check or not, but just the fact that it's it's a real check. It's not like a junk. Hey, you know. These here, cash these credit card yeah. checks or something like that. But it's just really, it's it's interesting the way my endorphins go off and I see those things. Do you foresee continuing to do a daily strip for pretty much as long as you can still draw? No, <laughs> no. I can see, I can see, could see doing a weekly strip okay. for a long time. Do you see the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to the daily strip? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. I said that to my my uh, panel today it's like don't tell my syndicate <laughs> but, say this on a podcast <laughs> I mean it's I'm in year 10 right now yeah. I'm in year 10 there you have it that was the great Keith Knight recorded that one at a restaurant on a break from the Boca Fest thanks so much to him you can check out all of his work at kchronicles.com thanks to you guys as always for listening to the program if you like the show there are a number of ways to support us you can write interviews on iTunes or on Google Podcasts and Spotify now like us on Facebook follow us on Tumblr that's rwellcast.tumblr.com if you have any feedback it's rwellcast at gmail.com and that's about it for this week so stick around because we're going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of our IYL. 